What's up, everyone? Welcome to the second official Aubrey Marcus podcast, but it's really like my 53rd podcast. Same, same, but different. Except this time, I'm with a guest that I have a distinct unfair advantage in interviewing. The very own Whitney Miller, <laughs> Miss Do Jits. She may not be Miss Do Jits for too long, but we'll cover all that. What? <laughs> Either you're keeping it? I am still Miss Two Jits, peeps. Yeah. Okay. She's Miss Two Jits, <laughs> who I have the pleasure of sharing a home with and many other things. And loving. <laughs> <laughs> and loving. <laughs> so this is going to be an interesting one because we're going to talk about, um, you know, all the time I've known you, the the path that you've taken, all the ins and outs. Well, this and I didn't be mean that. In the, I didn't mean that in the way you're thinking. <laughs> um, so welcome. Thanks. I feel like I did one of your very first podcasts when I first met you. Did. you. Was that maybe like number four? Yeah, like with, two? with Nick. Was the that ghost. number two? Mm-hmm. You did do that. No, I think it was like number three. Oh man. I should have done number three Aubrey Marcus podcast. <laughs> Just for continuity? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, that would have been cool. This one's going to be way more interesting. Though. I feel weird not having I was just, on. I just really invited you on that podcast to flirt with you at that point. Yeah, and it's so true because you did that box game, the cube game. <laughs> yeah. The cube game. The cube and tried game. to ask me about how many mm-hmm. strawberries I would eat, <laughs> and, which and it, means how, how I like my sex or something. <laughs> and it worked. And here we are. And here we are. Three years later. Three years later. So I met Whitney and she was, you know, well, you can describe yourself probably better than me. You're just rowdy, kind of fired up. You were working for the Jewelry Channel. You were slanging and banging. I was not slanging and banging. (laughs) (laughs) I I was slanging some jewelry. That's very true. On the Jewelry Channel. I hosted my own show. Um, And I was dating somebody at the time. Yeah. Details. I mean, shoot. He was just, you know, we weren't very compatible. He was my neighbor and Mm -hmm. things were fine. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I wasn't even going to bring that up, but that's cool. You just asked for details. (laughs) And then you were also, you know, actively wake surfing. Yeah. Former pro wake surfer, former pro surfer. Um, And then you were on the hunt to be Miss United States, which you successfully accomplished. I did. Very soon thereafter. Mm Mm-hmm. But that's not really what we're here to chat about. What we're here to chat about is um, the spiritual path and the steps that you've taken on that. And so what did you think initially, you know, kind of first meeting me, hearing about this crazy guy? I mean, your dad couldn't even pronounce ayahuasca for like, he may still not. No, he's gotten much better at pronouncing it. But I mean, it it took him a good two and a half years to figure it out. And he's, you know, I'm out there drinking these But he always adds shit at the end of it. (laughs) ayahuasca shit Uh uh-huh yeah right so you had that you know you had that kind of a little bit of that mentality coming in so what'd you think of this crazy character that you ran into i mean i didn't know i just i i didn't really know much about the whole spiritual path to begin with because when i was younger i would go to church my parents would force me to go to church my mom specifically because she grew up catholic Mm -hmm. and so she would take me to church all the time and i didn't understand why I had to go to church because I didn't believe in the stories that they were telling me. So I was like that really annoying rowdy kid in church and my mom would like pinch me on the back to make me sit up and it was just it wasn't I knew there was something else but I didn't know what it was and so I was just kind of like screw it. I just don't believe in anything, you know. 
I feel like there's something, but maybe I don't know how to find that or I don't know what the perfect path is. And the only thing is going to church and showing up and going the traditional route. And that was not my game plan. I think that's indicative of where a lot of people are. They've, you know, had some indoctrination in a traditional religious context and have been savvy enough to just discard that because of the inherent flaws within the actually religious the religiousness of that religion you know the doctrines and these things that just don't make a lot of sense but then they've rejected that but they haven't found anything else to to fill in oh yeah i think a lot of people are in that i mean i i felt that when i was too young to even know that there's some there was something outside of it and i was like seven in church being like okay you you're this is bullshit tell me how do you know this sir you don't you know and so i feel like a lot of people are there but it I'm excited about these times because so many people are waking up. I mean, mm-hmm. Miss United States went to the jungle and did ayahuasca. Who else is going? You know, Lots of people are going. Yeah. yeah. So what was the, so what was the first time you kind of thought, all right, maybe when when did you start kind of seeing this other path or waking up as as you described it? Because it's mm-hmm. all a process of waking up throughout the whole thing. I mean, we're still half asleep, I'm sure, and we'll continue to wake up the rest of our life. I mean, that is this process that we're on. But when was that kind of first? I feel like I wake up and then oh, I go back moment. to sleep and oh, yeah. wake up and then go it's back like, to sleep. We all have we all have the snooze button that we hit <laughs> constantly. The first, I honestly can't. I have no idea. I can't put pinpoint. I mean, the first time I... Was it maybe the first time we went to do that liver cleanse? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. Yeah. So, but I was thinking more so plant medicine based. But um, yeah, the first time that I was exposed to anything like that and really felt myself shift um, in a very dramatic way was when we went to go do a liver cleanse together in Sedona. Um, And that's where we met like Dr. Dan and everybody. And for me that we did holotropic breathing, so breath work. And that took, I had visions. So I take was, us, take us through that moment, first of all, because first of all, we're doing a liver cleanse and you were a little skeptical about that. Well, either. I thought we were just going to go and lose some weight, you know, I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, awesome. <laughs> that wasn't exactly your attitude. You're like, we're not going to eat. What the hell? What um, the hell are you doing? You know, you were a little, a little skeptical. Yeah. You've never done anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I've never done anything like that and I've done like two since then, but, um, yeah, the whole not eating thing wasn't really up my alley. It's still not up my alley. Like, I have to really force myself to go do a cleanse because it's just not very enjoyable, <laughs> except for the mental clarity and the health that you get out of it, but if it's after the fact. Um, but yeah, and I just knew it was like a bunch of hippies out and hanging out in Sedona and drinking greens juice and standing on plates that vibrate, which I still... I'm very You're still a little skeptical about. All right, that's good. That's yeah, it's no, no worries. So, but the main part was when we were. So at that point in my life, I was super, super closed off. I mean, I was like a steel wall. You know, nobody could penetrate, and um, you were the first person to penetrate it, obviously. But, <laughs> but <laughs> thanks, Whitney. I wanted to be the first person to penetrate something for you. <laughs> Well, you got the steel wall. <laughs> All right, good. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I was just super closed off, and I I didn't know if I was really that interested in opening up anyway because I had been in – I think it comes from being in some abusive – and abusive relationships and um, also just growing up with my 
very not strict but very conservative texas banker father you know mm-hmm. where you work hard and that's it you don't have emotions and if you cry it's it's not gonna help anything so don't cry and that was my mentality why am i crying it's not gonna help anything and so at that point i don't think i had cried in i don't even know four five six seven years maybe before we went to grace grove and it was like as soon as we sat down in our opening circle i'm bawling out of nowhere <laughs> and it was the most uncomfortable feeling in my entire life yeah. but so we went through all that and i finally started to open up and the holotropic breathing night um came with anahata so talk about your kind of feelings before that because you you didn't know what the hell we were doing no 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 no. i was like oh we're gonna sit there and breathe yeah we're gonna sit there and breathe for an hour really can i skip it i mean this is right you guys go have fun i'm gonna i don't know go walk outside or do something something different i don't want to go sit and breathe it's worse than yoga you know (laughs) and but i sucked it up and i did it and i like gave it my all and i was breathing like a mofo and it just took me into this other place. I had visions, but the main thing for me was that it I had so much of an emotional release that it was just non I was sobbing. Like my entire body was convulsing with how much emotions and like pent up crap I was purging. Mm. Um it was the most it was so crazy. That feeling I have I haven't experienced anything like that since. Well, that that steel wall, as you described it, was holding back a reservoir of emotion. And, yeah. and that breathing was the first time where you allowed some permeability in the wall and all of that overflow, you know, had to go. Mm, and, and it went. And it went. That's for sure. And then, you know, and then, of course, as with everything, the, the wall doesn't stay down from one from one go. You know, the mind is no. very good at rebuilding that. And so it's this kind of constant battle. But, yeah, I mean, I think for me seeing you that was that first moment where there was that major shift yep (laughs) agreed (laughs) a little distracted by the door no worries distracted by a little visitor (laughs) (laughs) but no absolutely i 100 percent agree with that yeah so then taking that from there that was this kind of entree into this kind of new way to be um talk about some of the other kind of major steps on the path I think, um, I mean, I did a psilocybin ceremony mm-hmm. with you. Um, allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> in a dream In once. Amsterdam. When in that Amsterdam. Time, the time we went to Amsterdam and, and legally did it with the Amsterdam truffles. Yep. Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. That's yep. what happened. Um, <laughs> but even then, even when we were in Amsterdam, <laughs> I was... I was I I always had a lot of control over myself. Yeah. And so I had to take like a a lot to get anything. Like right. I don't know, twice as much as a normal human being would take. And even then I'm like, mm, okay, yeah, I can Yeah, kinda... you just you just powered through what normally would have been a heroic dose. Yeah. But just because I'm like, no, I can't lose control. I got the shit under control. Like you cannot phase me. Right. Which is not a cool way to be. I'm learning. No. In certain situations, sure. But if you're doing that because you're hiding something or you don't want to bring something out or put it out there or whatever, then it's just not it's not the way to go. Well, it's really an illusion of control anyways. You know, I mean, I think really we're always facing the unknown. The unknown is inherently uncontrollable. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we have to bridge that gap ultimately with faith or with fear. But a lot of people cling to this illusion of control. 
which is just particularly stressful. I mean, well, I was clinging to fear. Yeah. 100%. That's what it was. Even now, even after I've gone through all of these mm -hmm. different experiences and I'm a 100% a different person, I, I still can find myself looking at fear. And I think fear is the number one thing that controls people's lives. Right. I'm, I mean, anytime somebody asks me, what's one thing that you want to release? What's one thing that you want to let go of? And it's always fear for me because if there was no fear, if there was always faith, I wouldn't have any of these crazy emotions and ego mind fucks. Mm. <laughs> so talk about some of the other key points where you had some realizations in this path of releasing fear. Man, I don't know. I haven't really thought about these. I mean, the only one that really keeps coming to mind is when I went to the jungle and did ayahuasca because this is the first time that I full on realized what waking up was. You know, I, I got a little taste here. I got a little taste there, whatever. But full on waking up was when I was in, in Peru in last February or this past February. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even during the ceremonies and it wasn't during the day. It was nothing. It was after I left about four days later when everything kind of came together and I, I was living in 100% faith and fear had no chance of even coming in my field of possibility. So I had 100% self-love and 100% faith. And yeah. that's when I realized, holy shit, this is this is what we're missing. You know, this is this is the little golden nugget. Yeah. That many people don't get to experience. So we're saying faith a lot and I think one of the things that came to me one time was a a way to define faith as fearless ex fearless acceptance of imagined trials or hardships. Because in our head, we're always, you know, with our mental simulator playing out all of these scenarios that are going to cause us pain or cause us suffering or, you know, derail us from our path. And so we have these imagined things that we're terrified of where we can do what we can to, you know, to chart our course. But ultimately, as I said, everything's unknown. But faith is taking the other approach. It's, you know, fearless acceptance of if they come, I'll handle it. I have the strength. I have the resources. Even if that final, you know, death knell comes, I'll be able to, you know, I'll be all right. You right. Know, there's something beyond this, even this very existence. So what what is that final that final move here on earth is not the final move for eternity. Mm -mm. And so it's acceptance of all things. And that's exactly how I felt. Mm -hmm. And so that was for me. Now, I'm not saying I'm in that place now or I was last week or anything, but now I have a benchmark. Yeah, like a I reference point. I have a reference point point. So I know that that's possible. Yeah. And you know, I mean, you know, probably better than anybody that, you know, even for me, this is, uh, these concepts are constant struggles. You know, these things I talk about, these things I write about on Facebook. I mean, I, I go to battle all the time with the parasite of my mind and you see me when I'm winning and you see me when I'm losing, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so tell, I mean, I guess, you know, people are probably curious, like, what's it, you know, what's it like? What's it like watching your partner, me, go through all of these different experiences as well? I mean, it's challenging. 
you know, because for so long you were this and you still are this man that I look up to and this this kind of like spiritual guide and um, teacher for me. And I didn't understand why if you could if you could be so awake and you could be so enlightened and you could have all of these beautiful experiences that take you to the best place on earth or best place in your own specific universe, then how can you be at the lowest place too? I didn't understand. Um, and so now that I've been experiencing that as well, it, it puts us kind of on the same playing field. So I understand it a little bit more. And I'm, I always tell you, and I always tell myself when I go through these things, like it's okay if that happens, it's okay to fall down the mountain and scrape your knees and break your neck every once in a while. I mean, you just have to get up and keep going. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a little bit challenging and, and I wish there was more things that I could do to help when you do get into those places. But I also know that it's difficult for someone to pull somebody out if they're not ready. The important part is the climbing out. You right. know, so the very thought that you can truly just drag someone, you know, kicking and screaming out of their hole, it won't really work. All you can do is point them to, hey, you see there's a little handhold over there, you know, maybe grab onto that. Or, hey, you remember, uh, you, ha you, you have a rope in your backpack. It's called the warrior ethos, you know, mm -hmm. like maybe go use that. Yeah. And then, you know, that's, that's really all you can do is kind of just. Just little hints. Just point because there's really no way to change somebody. You can just kind of show some ways and, but they got to do the, they got to do the labor. Oh yeah. Right. And I think that's something that we've gone through as well as, you know, you have been a, a guide and a teacher to me, but I'm always the type of person that's like, mm, is that what you think? Well, let me go see and I'll figure it out. Right. You know, like I am not, I don't just sit here and go off of everything that you say. Because how do I know? You I don't, don't know. Go, you don't go off of anything that I say. Actually, <laughs> well, I just sometimes your first reaction is arms folded, calling bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> every every new thing that comes up. No, there's That's some things the that I will reaction. believe, but if if it's something that, I mean, I don't know. I just really have to experience things on my own to 100% believe them. And I think that maybe comes from me being forced to go to church. Right. And having some dude or woman or whatever tell me it's this way because of this, this, and this, and this, and me not believing him. Show me. Show me. I'm ready. I want to know. And then I'll believe you, and then I'll come to church, and I will, you know, praise the Lord. But until well, then. That's the beauty of this direct experiential path. I mean, all of the shamans and guides, they'll talk to you, but really they back it up by just allowing you to see for yourself. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's so important. Yeah, it's crucial. I don't think you can ever really arrive at truth, you know, just from purely hearing it from somebody else. I mean, no. It, you have to feel it and taste it and touch it and smell it and mm -hmm. know it, as Ted would say. Know, know it. it. Yeah. And that's why I'm saying that I think the ayahuasca trip was the first time that I fully grasped that. One, because I was by myself. I didn't have the comfort of you being around. I was completely solo. So I really just dove headfirst into the experience. Mm -hmm. For sure. I think, you know, for anybody here who's listening, there's probably a lot of people who are, you know, a bit on this path and, um, you know, want to help 
bring somebody that they love, you know, closer to, you know, a heightened state of consciousness, you know, more, more aware of the nature of their, the world themselves and free them from some of the demons that they're dealing with. And so, you know, what do you think as far as some of the good aspects of, of, you know, the process that I've kind of been involved with you in and some of the things that didn't work so well, like as far as like guides for other people who are trying to, maybe it's their parents or maybe it's their friend or maybe it's their lover or whoever, you know, and they want to kind of help them along the path. What would you say are some, some good tips that you've learned along the way? Well, for me, it's, it's just to be, you know, if, if you're on that path and you are bringing that light, that they're not going to be able to ignore that. Um, because it's something that I'm, you know, I'd love for my parents to go down to the jungle and do ayahuasca. Is that a possibility? Mm, maybe not, but they're definitely becoming more open to the idea. They're even having conversations with me about it. So you just have to go off of those little wins as well. Um, and so just bring that light to them. They won't be able to ignore it. They'll see a change in you. And, um, find a community, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people around that are on this same path. Um, and if you find them and have just a community, a safe community where you can talk about it, um, where it's not kind of, I, I want to say hippy dippy, but you know, I mean, so that's kind of like a stereotype that people would think like, oh, it's just a bunch of hippies that go down there. There's a hippie community are going to be able to talk freely about this. But I mean, there's people that are out there like you who are entrepreneurs. There's people like me who's Miss United States. You know, we're here to speak openly about it. Maybe give them some podcasts. Maybe give them some books. Um, but I wouldn't – don't force it on them. Yeah. Don't just con- – don't let it be the only thing you talk about ever. Don't go way off – don't go haywire. Like just <laughs> <laughs> speak to them in their own language. And be really be really truthful too. Be, I yeah, think. I think super that's, truthful. Uh, truthful with your own process, you know. And, and also – Anytime you, you really need someone to change or you're really pushing too hard, you're going to push that away. You know, I mean, there's a, a very kind of Taoist wisdom in how to approach these things. That principle of Wu Wei, like the least action creates the most result, you know, in many of these cases. So simply being like holding that presence and offering up your, you know, your truth and, and letting that, you know, letting that speak for itself without trying too hard. I mean, I know there's, been some instances where I've wanted to push for gains too hard and there's been mistakes on the path made, you know, and those those can be scary. You know, these instances can be scary and all of it was from pushing too hard, you know, too soon, wanting a result rather than just kind of allowing the process to, to take hold and you'll end up, you know, getting, you know, a few steps behind. If yeah. you get too aggressive and pushing that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, no doubt. So what's next? What's next? Um, well, I just got back from Sedona, and I did a full three-day course on shamanic healing and, and healing tools, which was absolutely amazing. So I would I would love to start doing some sort of, I don't know, um, ceremonies for friends. Um, not, not plant ceremonies. I'm not comfortable in that realm. I don't think that's my place, but just some sort of healing ceremonies like medicine wheels and, and showing them that there's a different way of thinking and that 
you know, come over to my house. Let's go have dinner. But at the same time, let's grow together and transform and and see the other side. Um, I'm also putting on my very first women's retreat, which is super exciting. It's the Sedona Goddess Empowerment Retreat, who I'm, which I'm putting on with Anahata Ananda, who was the lady we were talking about with the breath work. And she is a beautiful soul inside and out. And she is a master at what she does. And so we're putting on a, a full extended weekend of transforma- transformation and growth. We're going to be hiking to the sacred caves. There's going to be someone doing body work there, sh- sharing circles, all kinds of good stuff. Cool. Yeah. And what's next for you, though? What do you think your next steps are? I mean, on, we're going down to Peru. You you mean on the spiritual path? Uh-huh. Yes, we are going down to Peru. Again. <laughs> <laughs> Another go-round with, with the mother. In July. What's it like being in the jungle? Just itself? It sucks. <laughs> I don't like being in the jungle. I don't like it either. Well, okay. I kind of like it, it for like maybe like, like two it. days. But the time I went this past February, I was there for 12 days. No. Mm-mm. Wrong. Jungle, the jungle's intense. It's so intense. I mean, it is relentless. Relentless is a good word for the jungle. It. I mean, don't think that you're going on a vacation down there. Mm-mm. And if when you do, make sure you actually go on a vacation after. If you're going down to the jungle to do ayahuasca, that's not your vacation. It's not. That's work. Right. You book a vacation afterwards <laughs> because you need a vacation after going down to do ayahuasca. Wise advice. For sure. Wise advice. So I want to touch on one other thing that we kind of came up with together recently, and it's this altruistic model of relationships. So <clears throat> I think a lot of times, you know, when we talk a lot about, you know, idealism in our relationship, mm-hmm. and I think really cutting away everything else and getting to the core of what that was, it was this truly altruistic model where we are 100% rooting for the happiness of the other individual, you know, no matter what, no matter if we get credit for it, no matter how it comes, we're 100% rooting for the happiness and fulfillment, not of just the baser needs and the ego and the emotional tyrant that's inside the other person, but the happiness and fulfillment of that higher self, of the consciousness of the other person, Mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, what do you think as far as, um, you know, obviously this is the ideal, but, you know, do you think this is going to be possible put into practice here? Yeah. I mean, I don't think anything's impossible. I don't see why it it couldn't be possible at all, as long as it doesn't take away from self, you know, like as long as it's not taking a piece away from you. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. As in you feel like you're losing something by giving this person happiness because then you're going to start resenting and being like, well, I did this for you, you know? And in that case, in that case, you weren't doing it altruistically anyways. And the other person hadn't been abiding by their end of the agreement because the only way it works is if it's a mutual agreement because they wouldn't allow you to do something that was to your great detriment, to your true detriment, you know, for their benefit, if they're being altruistic as well. Yeah. Right. So it's it's an agreement that both sides have to keep up with or the whole thing Fails. falls apart. I mean, it's like it's like communism, you know, like unless both parties, unless all parties keep up their end of the agreement, it's going to fail. The problem with communism is who the fuck knows these other random people that you're supposedly working communally for? It's not a community. Communism, community. 
It's not a community. It's some fucking random fuckhead <laughs> down the street that you fought their kids when they were growing up and yeah. you, you don't like them or somebody in another province or you're out in the country and it's these city fuckers or you're in the city and it's these country bumpkins. Like, how are you supposed to have altruism for someone who you don't know and never bonded with? So I get how it doesn't work on that macro level, but I think it's very possible in a relationship, but you hardly ever see that. Right. Well, you're not taught that. Right. You're not, that's not what you're taught at all. I mean, you have this one way of being in a relationship and if it's not that way, society looks down on you. Right. Or your family or your friends or everybody around you. And anytime you watch TV, it's just, it's just hammering you with the same thought. And I think that's just what's so important is we, I was ta talking to you about this the other day about we have sex ed courses in class, in classrooms, but we don't have like relationship courses, you know, but it has to be taught in the right way. And so right. if this was the new model, the new paradigm, and they went and spoke about this in schools, I think kids growing up and people, teenagers and whoever else, adults, it would be a completely different relationship world. Right. Way better. I agree. I mean, I think the altruism combined with ruthless self-love, which is a terminology that we learned from Don Miguel and what he means by, um, and ruthless love in general, you know, what he means by the ruthless aspect of it is that it's not like a coddling type of type of love where someone is egoically saying, eh, I want this. I want you to be like this. And you say, okay, sweetie, whatever you want. Whatever your little ego tyrant wants, I'm going to be at your beck and call. No, it's like going deeper than that. Be like, no, that's bullshit. You know, that's not what your higher self wants. That's not your consciousness talking, you know, and, and really making sure that you're serving that person's highest needs. You know, if they, if they want that other street drug or whatever. And I want this. Okay, sweetie, that's not ruthless. That's not yeah. ruthless love. Ruthless love is loving them so much that you refuse to acquiesce to the needs that don't serve them. Yeah. It's also doing it in a respectful way. Like, don't think you coming out like, that's bullshit. You're not going to get that. Like, that's <laughs> not going to go over well. You know, like, it, I mean, with us, at least with our relationship, when we do have talks and if something comes up in a relationship, like any other relationship, we're not good all the time. We have issues and arguments and all kinds of stuff. But we sit down and we have 100% honesty talks to where we try with every ounce of our beings to speak with our higher self. Yeah. You know, and of course somebody, when I mean, you can mention it or I can mention it and say, well, I don't know if that's necessarily what you're thinking, you know, like mm -hmm. really truly in your heart is that exactly what you feel or is the ego coming in or are you feeling jealousy or are you feeling, you know, hurt in some way? Yeah. I think it's just sitting down with your partner and, and speaking from a very, very true place and that doesn't mean we, we never get into yelling matches because of that right yeah i mean it's uh it's challenging but i think it's about again it's still faith over fear but to have that faith you know i think a lot of people these relationships are riddled with fear and fear is manifested as jealousy or fear is manifested as hurt you know these slights of the ego that people take all the time um but to have that faith, you need to have that basis in 100% honesty. And otherwise, you, you're on inherently unshaky ground because the other person doesn't know you truly and you don't know them truly. So how are you supposed to really have faith that you guys are locked in something that's really meaningful if you don't even know each other? 
You know, if, if the girl's going out with her girlfriends and then telling the truth, like, oh, that guy was so hot. I'd love to bang him. And the guys are like <laughs> doing the same thing. And everybody's lying to each other about what they really feel. But that's what's happening. That's what everybody does, right? That's but everybody acts like it doesn't. Don't write in and say that you don't do that <laughs> because right. you do. Right. And your girlfriend does too. <laughs> Unless yeah. you have a relationship, because I don't really go out and and I don't have, we don't have shit to talk about. And everyone's like, oh, so how's how are things going with Aubrey? I'm like, good, you know, good. Or if we had a, an argument about something, I'll talk about the argument. But we've already hashed it out, and so there's not like this weird bit built up like animosity towards you, or like I feel like I have to hide something, or it's just we're good now because we were able to talk about it on a high at a higher place, right, and get through it. Yeah. And we, you know, and I think this is something, again, it's all a work in progress, but like really knowing each other and being honest with that, that's such a, that's such a key step. And then, you know, from there, then you can build, that's like this strong foundation upon which you can build a castle. Like anything else, you're building it on low tide and the fucking shifting sands and it's liable to get destroyed at any point. So you're constantly living in fear and jealousy or these other things. Jealousy itself is this inherent fear that all of a sudden the whims of your partner are going to take her, her, his love to another person because it's, it feels shaky to you, you know, and there's also some egoic ideas of possession, which I think are, are a little bit crazy as well. But, you know, most of the jealousy comes from this fear, fear that you're not going to be as important, fear that. And all of that comes from lack of, of true knowledge. If you truly know the person and know their love is real, what is there to fear? You know, I've always said that if you can't trust your girl to walk down a hallway of <laughs> yeah. hard dicks and not suck one of them, you know, then you got nothing. <laughs> you, know, you got nothing. You know, Seriously. And, and then, you know, maybe it's your agreement that she's allowed to suck all the dicks. And then, but either way, either way, you have to have something where that, that you can count on, some kind of rock, some foundation at the bottom that you can count on. Yeah, otherwise it won't work. Right. Mm -mm. Why is, um, what are some of the, what are some of the traps of the ego that, you know, that you think that we've kind of encountered and had to deal with? With us? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, let's just really put it out there, huh? <laughs> For me, I mean, the first one that comes to mind is I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. He wants to go hang out with her because I'm not good enough. And which isn't the case that's just what my ego wants to tell me right you know um so it's making it draws comparisons you yeah know? like whatever somebody does it draws comparisons they want to do this because i'm not fulfilling um, yeah i'm not fulfilling enough and you know i think that's a that's really a it's kind of a foolish concept that we don't really apply to other aspects of life you know it's like it's just something that we apply to relationships because we're told that, you know, all desires and all interests can be fulfilled by this, by a, by a person. Like everything, well, everything I think that's has important. to be fulfilled. Yeah, I think that's a really important um, point to make. And this is something that I tell 
a lot of my girlfriends that come to me for advice is, is that you cannot expect your partner to fulfill every single part of that. I mean, it's not – they can't be your best friend and then they can't be your confidant. And I mean, I just feel like we're, we're looking for so much in one person that it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, the expectations. Like we want them to be soft and sweet. We want them to be hard and mean, and we want them to do this, but we want them to do this, and then we want them to watch sports, but maybe he likes to work on the computer. Maybe we want him to work on the computer and not watch sports. And like, it's just there's so many things that come to play, and that I think if you if, if you have like a common ground and you are able to build this beautiful relationship, then it's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, he's everything that I want, except you know maybe he's not super romantic. And so what's the problem with someone else being super romantic? You know, mm-hmm. you're still my king. I don't know. You're really kind of putting it out there. <laughs> no. Well, I don't know. Okay. This is your fault. You're the one. I mean, this is your podcast. Well, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, we'll go back to arms crossed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, kind of, so, so really, you know, what we're, the concepts that we're playing around with is this idea that, um, you can have a relationship built on fidelity that isn't necessarily built on monogamy, right? <laughs> and that's, you know, kind of what Whitney's alluding to. And it's not some thing that we have perfectly figured out, but it's this idea that you can love another person altruistically and truly root for them to have the best experience in life possible, even if that isn't with you, you know, for whatever aspect of time or for whatever situation that may be including romantic situations. Right. And the one thing that I, I mean, you're really bringing it out now. (laughs) I opened the door, right? You opened the door. Um, I think the one, what was I going to say? Crap. Well, I forgot. (laughs) Well, you'll remember it. Well, I was just saying that, you know, the difference between fidelity and monogamy is how I started. And then then how how you can get pleasure and it doesn't ha- it can be any oh. variety of pleasure from another person yeah. not just sexual and something that i go back to a lot is the fact that if if we give love or we give something to somebody else that takes nothing from us you right. know me allowing you to go have fun or do whatever you want to do and giving love to somebody else, which is, I mean, what we should be doing to everybody around us, not just any romantic partner or anything like that, your friends, strangers, whatever. Giving love to somebody else doesn't take his love away from me. Right. Yeah. People, uh, people look at love as a good in scarcity rather than at something in abundance. And it's only in romantic love because that's the story that we've been told. Like, Uh, The example I always use, people don't ask a mother when they have their third child, like, oh man, is it a bummer that you have to love the rest of your kids less because you had that third kid? (laughs) They'd look at you like, what the fuck are you talking about? I love them all equally. My love grows and grows every day. I love my first and second even more now than I did then now that I have the third. But people, but because it's romantic love, they think it's a finite, they think it's a finite good. The only thing that's finite is time. But the problem is, is that when you have resentment, that time is meaningless because you're resenting the other person or thinking about something else during that time. So it's the amount of really true, like that quality time where you're just enraptured with each other, you know, like what we had together on Saturday night in our (laughs) crazy fun little after party. These moments of just pure, you know, it's like the start of our relationship again. 
Yeah. You know, it has that same kind of magic, that electricity, because of the freedom that we've allowed. I mean, know? I just think it's imp- like, ask yourself, not you, but the listeners, ask yourself when was the last time that you felt that way with your partner? Like, seriously. I mean, we came home at like 2 a.m. in the morning and didn't go to bed until 6 because we were just like up talking and laughing and throwing knives and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. We when, do crazy stuff in the house. Yeah. She was throwing apples in the air and I was trying to throw knives and hit them. I think I split one, but we were too drunk for me to figure that out. Yeah. But, but I'm pretty was, sure I split an, split an apple with a knife in midair. Which is pretty impressive. Allegedly. I'm going to go ahead and say that you did. <laughs> um, well, the apple started whole and it hit the ground split. Yeah. But, yeah. But so it's knife, split. But the knife didn't smell like apple, but I don't know. What? I smelled the knife. Yeah, I Either do way, remember It doesn't that. matter. Nobody cares if I split the apple or not. Nobody, Nobody cares. cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> but I think just having that much fun with somebody that you've been with for years, you know, and we've done that so many times where we just go home and go straight to bed, you know, and now that we have this freedom to, and we trust each other so much, it's, there's, there's nothing hidden and I don't know what that really has it to do becomes, with any it's of it, like but hanging it's just more out, fun. It's like hanging out with your homie that you're totally honest with, you know, like there's a freedom, there's just this lightness that, there's this lightness of being that I think allows the other love and romance to come. Like, it's like when you're truly, truly honest to the, to the nth degree with somebody, there's no burden. There's nothing you're, there's nothing you're carrying. Your backpack is empty. It's off. Right. And you just, it's just lighter. And when you're lighter, that was really what allows the passion to flourish because all the weight you carry is like a weight that's suppressing that passion and that love. Yeah. What, what if this shows up on my phone or what do I got to do here? Or what if this slips? I told her I did this or I, you know. Or even those, even just the thoughts that you can't yeah. share. Like, God damn, that waitress was hot. You know, <laughs> like the burden of having to like keep that solely to yourself. Whereas if you were with one of your good friends, you just let it out and then it wouldn't be a big deal. You'd be like, damn. That waitress was hot or that waiter was hot. You know, whatever, whatever your thing, whatever your thing was. But I feel like most of the time now, or at least not with us, but in relationships, the girl's sitting there wondering, like, does he think that girl's hot? Yeah. Is he looking at her? Oh, my God. She, he's looking at her. He, she thinks he's hot. And then he's not saying anything like, oh, my God, did she see me yeah, look at and, him? And, Holy and shit. meanwhile, the backpack just gets fuller <laughs> yeah. and fuller with fucking lead bullets. Right. And, you know, I mean, it is, it is a really cool thing that we have going on here, but I'm always the first to say this shit's hard. Of course, because we're deprogramming like deeply rooted, you know, deeply rooted thoughts and ideas. Right. And so I don't want people to think that we're just like skipping through the park and flipping our hair like, wee, this is so easy. No. I mean, this is a completely different way of thinking than I have thought for the last 20, what did I mean when I was 22? 22 years. But now that you've seen this way, do you think even, let's say, whatever, we decide to go a different way, do you think you could go back to the old model now that you've seen this way? Um, and yes and no. I, I don't think the old – it would have to be a hybrid. Like I couldn't just – I could not go back to how I was living in relationships before. Absolutely not. It would just be nuts. You know, because I see, I see how this side works, but there could be some sort of hybrid, I guess. I mean, 
but does that even make sense? Because that's not the traditional route of thinking right. anyway. So modifications to the agreement would have to be made. One way yeah. So yeah. at its base point, could I go back to being in a very traditional relationship, how I grew up, how I'm taught? No. Yeah. And I think, you know, this one thing I talked about on the, on Joe Rogan's podcast that everybody, um, you know, really took a affinity to was the platinum rule, as I called it. And that is do unto others, not as you would do to yourself, but do unto others because they are yourself. They're you living a different life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the foundation that allows you to have this real altruism is looking at that other person just as if it was you living a different life, you know, and, and, and loving them with that kind of nature and just wanting the absolute true, you know, best for them regardless of what that is because it's it's just you living it you know with different circumstances maybe a different sex or maybe a different whatever but we're all that same same individual just in a different situation same same but different and that's really mm -hmm. the only way that's really the only way out you know like we've gotten in our discussions and conflicts the only way out is is up is ascending to the highest consciousness thinking which is that you know, true acknowledgement of that we're, you know, exactly as I was talking about, you know, that's the only way out of these tricky situations of jealousy and emotion is just going back to altruism and going back to the recognition that the other person is you as well. Yeah. Because if you indulge in those and you get in this, because we see it all the time, this kind of tit for tat, someone finds out that someone's sleeping with someone and someone wants to go fuck the next person available, like right off the bat. It's standard, it's standard model. You know, you, you'll see that duplicated over and over this revenge game, or he said something about me this way. He, he restricted me. He confined me in this way. So I'm going to confine him in this way. Oh, bitch she can find me in this way well look at you you were talking to so-and-so blah 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 and you get in this other way and it's just this downward spiral there's just a lot more suffering there totally. and that's i mean and even though this type of relationship is very very challenging and it it stretches you in ways that you never thought possible there's still more suffering in the traditional type of relationship at least for me um 100%. Which I think is, is pretty interesting to think about. And it's not to say that the traditional model doesn't work for some people. No, no, no. You know, I think I mean, it totally could. To, we know, I know, I think two couples now that I can say are fully happy with no modifications of the agreement. They can download that, you know, relationship contract from LegalZoom, take it out, <laughs> sign that bitch as yeah. is and be 100% happy. But, and that's great. And if you're one of those people, fucking awesome, you know, lucky you. Yeah, very you know, cool. That's very cool. And I think it's just recognizing, you know, what your win is like and really going for the win. And that's my big thing. And that's what I'm writing this book about when I'm leaving here tonight, I'm leaving you for a month to I go know. into isolation is just writing about going for the win, like finding out what is the best case scenario. Not if even if you, so many people don't even think it's possible, like, oh, that would never work. They'll never go for it or I'll never go for it or whatever. They don't think it's possible. So they accept a certain level of suffering in a certain level of discontent in their relationship and in their agreement is like, it's just the way it is, man. You know, women are from Venus, men are from Mars. Well, well, bullshit. They just accept some nonsense like that instead of saying like, or maybe not, or maybe we can make a new agreement. Maybe we can choose to have something that's optimal. Mm -hmm. 
and putting that out there to each other and making sure, like you said, speaking from a, from a higher place. Yeah. That altruistic place. So speaking of me going away, um, it's the last time you're going to be hearing me on the podcast for about a month. I'm off to Vancouver Island to write a book and then probably to Sedona. I'm leaving my phone. I'm leaving my email. He's leaving his girlfriend. <laughs> I'm leaving my girlfriend <laughs> and, uh, and completely unplugging. But for me, this is huge, not only because I'm going to get to write this book, but just the mere act of not having anything. Because there's like a constant anxiety with my phone that something something is going to grab me and, and drag me into some quagmire of either having to work or having to respond or some social obligation or yeah. something like that. And that's when Rabba got you the Apple Watch or whatever, I was like, oh, great. That's exactly what he needs. Not. You don't need that. Don't wear that thing. I already gave it to Mike. Oh, good. I was like, man, that's just not. No. Yeah. Don't wear but, your phone. You know, so, and I, I was able to really track that. And one thing I, I think I talked about it in a, in a Facebook post was, you know, when I smoke weed or eat some weed particularly, I'll get this sense of anxiety. And I always thought it was the weed that was giving me the anxiety until one day I realized oh no, I'm constantly anxious my whole fucking life. And when I smoke weed, I just realize that I'm anxious. <laughs> yeah, it just increases it's that. Just like, I just, no, it doesn't even increase it. I just become aware. You know how it like makes you aware of things? Like makes you aware of if you brush oh, your teeth. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes you aware if you're you sore roll in out. some muscles. Yeah, like makes you want to roll out. You're just aware of things that are wrong. And I become aware of this constant level of anxiety that I have. And, you know, I started tracking it with other symptoms too, not just my weed smoking diagnosis, but like I would get like eye, you know, eyebrow twitches or like eye twitches and these things that are like telltale signs of stress. But if you asked me, I was like, no, I'm not stressed out. And you ask other people, they'd be like, no, man, Aubrey's a super laid back dude. He's, you know, he's got it all under control. But I did, you know, I'm carrying this little level of stress. So for me, I'm excited to just kind of unplug. Everybody needs to do that. Yeah. Everyone. At least maybe even even if it's just for like a couple days. Right. Go by yourself. Leave your boyfriend at home. Leave your girlfriend at home. Leave your wife, father. I don't know who's at home, but leave him and go by yourself. You have an interesting concept for females in particular about eating alone. You want to tell talk about that real quick? Yeah. Um, I, I have found that a lot of females do not want to go eat by themselves because of some sort of insecurities or there's some sort of self-conscious layer that's holding them back. Um, I've traveled by myself quite a lot. Last summer I went for three months completely by myself. And so I didn't – I ate by myself all the time. I did everything solo. I went on tours, whatever it was. And it really helps – it helps you – let that guard down because I think what holds women back especially is if when you go to a restaurant by yourself or you go to a movie by yourself, you think that other people are immediately thinking, oh, well, she doesn't have a man or, you know, what is she out doing by herself? She's not cool enough to hang out with anybody. She doesn't have any friends. She's not married. She's not this, this and that. And I think it brings up all of those emotions so you're able to face them and look at them. And so for me, I would say go travel by yourself. But if that's not an – if that's not an um, if you can't do that, then go this week to dinner by yourself. 100% by yourself. That doesn't mean taking your phone and being on Facebook and Instagram the whole time. Like go enjoy your meal, people watch, write in your journal, whatever it is, and just see what comes up for you. It's huge. Yeah, go to like a proper sit-down meal. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not talking about going to a deli and get a sandwich. 
go into a, whatever your favorite restaurant is. Yeah. Super nice favorite restaurant. Go and have a meal by yourself. And try not to get hit on by the savages. Yeah, that's true. Savages everywhere. What's your strategy for dealing with savages? You oh, have to deal with savages. I'm not very good at dealing with savages. <laughs> What's your strategy? Um, I just don't. <laughs> just sometimes depends on what kind of mood I'm in. If it's been kind of like a savage night, you know, people have been. I don't know, on top of me all freaking night chatting or whatever, then it's just straight up don't even. Like there's just like, "Mm -mm, you don't want to talk to me. I promise you don't want to talk to me right now. Or if it's, you know, if I'm cool and it's chill and it's not that big of a deal, then I'll be nice and chat for a second. And then I'm like, okay, great. Well, hope you have a good night. And I just walk off. So what if, if there's a girl who's in that mode where it's just like, it's been a club or a bar and they, you know, they've just been getting harassed. Like, is there a strategy? Is there any move a guy, like a good dude, not a fucking drunk, you know, can can do to like break through to that? Break through that. Break through that, and not just be looked at like some annoying fucker. There has to be something. There has to be, but I feel like every time I've been in that place, it's always like the most like the drunkest dude rolls up and like <laughs> talks to me like thirty. 30 little millimeters from my face and it's just man I don't know maybe if if you were not if you were sober for sure it's like a good time to go up and maybe say something funny or like if there's like a little if there's like a little rose or a flower or something just go and make like a little joke and be like or or talk about all these fucking crazy drunk people in here mm-hmm. you know or maybe I feel like if I was in that position and some guy came up to me and said man you're feeling how I'm feeling right now, right? Look at these hooligans. Yeah. I'd be like, oh. Oh, right. hi. <laughs> right. You seem normal. So maybe something like that. But usually when I'm in that place, it's just that steel wall comes back. <laughs> so another another piece of advice for dudes. So if if a dude is looking to build inside him the deeper qualities that really make him desirable kind of long term, you know, like, what do you think is the most important thing that they can do? Like, what should they put to the forefront of their priority to become become that dude that is really can capture someone's attention and deeper love? They need to sit down face to face with their ego and have a one hundred percent honest conversation. <laughs> well, that's difficult to do when you still are the ego. So that's... So I guess taking the first steps to become aware of your ego. And that'll be, you know, that'll take a bit. But once you become become aware of your ego, you're able to see it creep up in little um, circumstances here and there. And then you can start to really dive into that. But I think first step is becoming aware of it and taking steps to do that. You know, that's interesting because that's not what is traditionally told. What's traditionally told? Well, I think really it's about working out harder in the gym, building bigger muscles, or you know, building, oh, a, bigger, no. building a bigger bank account. But I didn't even think of those, honestly. Yeah, but what I mean, obviously, those are those are nice accoutrements. But <laughs> <laughs> but really, you know, what you're saying is that this, you know, the path of consciousness, the path of dealing with your own shit is ultimately the most attractive quality in a mate. Absolutely. I mean, you can have – there can be a guy that looks exactly like you. 
you know, and obviously I'm good s- luck. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> and there's that ego. <laughs> Perfect example. <laughs> but obviously I'm very physically attracted to you and like everything you have going on. But I, I wouldn't be as attracted and I wouldn't stay around if you didn't have the ability to speak with your higher self. Right. Well, I think that's a strong endorsement of the path. I yeah. I mean, it's a challenging path. I'm, spiritual path is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just relationships. But yeah. it is a challenging path because sometimes you want to go back to where you were before because you, <laughs> because you start to see how everything changes. Mm-hmm. But it's so beautiful on the other side. I mean, your suffering is just minute compared to what it was before. Yeah, for sure. Well, Winnie, thanks. It's one of our last Thanks. conversations for a month. I know. You. This is crazy. I'm going to miss you too. Everybody keeps telling me to come on your podcast. Well, here you are. Finally, <laughs> he invites me on. Jeez. <laughs> Thanks for coming on too. Thanks, babe. I appreciate that. And I love everybody. Um, we'll get this podcast up and then I'm out. So I uh, will see you on the flip side. And then, you know, it's going to take a while to publish this book. Um, but. It's going to be badass. Hopefully. It's going to be so badass. It'll be cool. Wait, I'm also coming out with a podcast too, ladies and gentlemen. Dun, 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 dun. Called Truthgasms. Truthgasms. Yeah. Multiple Guess what we're going to talk about? Truth and probably <laughs> orgasms too. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. And you are at Miss Two Jits, M-I-S-S, the number two, J-I-T-S. Yes. You're you're kind of not really training that much anymore. Now. I know. I haven't really been training. That's the truth of the matter. Everyone keeps asking me. Well, because I did that jiu-jitsu tournament and I hurt my arm. Aubrey likes to say that I got my arm broken. She got her arm broken. I mean, it popped and it still really, really hurts. And that was, I don't know, eight months ago. And then hurt my lower back. But I really want to get into it. I was just thinking about going back. <sighs> <laughs> going back next week but I, I there's a gym that i want to start training at that doesn't exist here so you could say it 10th planet oh my you're god looking, you're looking for 10th planet i do i want to train at 10th planet yeah shout out to old eddie bravo eddie bravo come on with your austin bad self we need 10th planet here please i feel you i feel you thank you everybody much love thank you whitney love you love you bye mm-hmm.